0: Hello, and welcome to another new episode of Unheard Voices. This is Justin Fairchild with my co-host. Andrew Menear. How are we tonight,
1: Andrew? Uh, well, doing okay. How about yourself?
0: About the same. Uh, Sometimes struggles, sometimes not. Uh, Been feeling pretty good lately, which is nice. Uh, But it's been quite a bit since we've been able to catch up. You've had a couple of episodes... Uh, in between our last, mm-hmm. and here we are finally be able to pull it off.
1: Yep, and even our last episode was originally recorded like last August of like 2021, and wasn't released until November of 2021.
0: So <laughs> that's that's absolutely true.
1: But that was that was on me this time. It wasn't a matter of like me sitting over here patiently waiting for you to send me the audio files from your side
0: lies and deceit
1: mm. <laughs> i had just gotten so busy with other things that i kept prioritizing other work ahead of the podcasts editing so
0: which is perfectly fine you have to make a living obviously mm. and since we do this basically as for do free. you with
1: the <laughs> the kilted farmer business and you know being the father of four children i'm sure that keeps you quite busy
0: it does. It does. It's a little slower in the winter, it just kind of depends. Because right now we're in a transition uh, from what we were doing before, which is more Homestead Apiary-based, um, right, into what we are doing now, which is turning the website into an online localized marketplace, where mm-hmm. you can just go there each week, order all your groceries, produce, meats, um, You know, pantry stuffers, we're adding restaurants to it. Um, So you can go there, order everything you want for that week, including, you know, your dinner or whatever. And we pre-order everything, and then we deliver it all at once. And, you know, we save people a couple hours each week, especially with multiple trips to the grocery store. The way I like to think of it is every ten orders we get is nine less vehicles on the road. Minimalizing our carbon footprint a little bit.
1: True. Well, I mean, it's it's less customer vehicles on the road, but still either your vehicle or the vehicles of the, the people who are delivering uh, from the source to have it all, all collected into one place. But I do believe I saw somewhere on Facebook a picture of another person wearing a kilt, was that something to do with uh, your kilted farmer business? Did you find somebody uh, who was also stepping in to to do delivery things, or was that completely unrelated?
0: No, uh, local friends, he has Scottish in him, and he was wearing his kilt. His wife got a picture of it, and I said, hey, can I post this to a group? And she said, sure. So I just, you know, take pride in kilt-wearing people. That's a cool thing.
1: Oh, okay. Okay.
0: So the reason that it would be more uh, carbon footprint friendly is because we do all Mm. of the pickups and deliveries in one shot. So we're not taking ten different trips to ten different places. We get all the stuff together. We take one round trip to pick everything up and one round trip to drop everything off, and then we're home. It takes us about four hours to do everything uh, for up to ten orders. Okay. but you know it works really well because it supports local businesses it helps support us and eventually uh, I'm going to expand mm-hmm. because where we want to be is we want to be able to compete with companies like Shipt, uh, Grubhub Etsy and Amazon
1: mm-hmm.
0: but only using local businesses to do so so that's where we're at there we got to get to the point where we have some investors so I can put some money into the website Um, But I think it's going to be good. It'll Mm -hmm. go big.
1: So is Amanda Eller still helping you with the website stuff?
0: Yeah, on occasion. She's busy now. She just started a new job, which I think is still doing website stuff. But she's working like 40, 50 hours a week. So most of the website editing I'm actually doing myself right now as far as adding inventory. And that's one of the beautiful things about the upgrades is all these local businesses could then add themselves and their inventory, and sell through the website. Um, And it'll automatically become a part of the delivery route and all that jazz. Just gotta get there.
1: So that's all automated by the website itself, then, yeah?
0: Yeah, the website and the white pages or whatever the software is.
1: Mm. That makes it easier. I don't know how I would begin to approach something like that with the minimal amount of computer programming knowledge that I've got. So, as long as you've got some of these web services that do a lot of the the heavy lifting as far as the coding aspect of it, I think it would certainly yeah. make it easier to accommodate trying to run a business.
0: It would. Did you see the uh ad sharing contest I ran?
1: I'm not entirely sure. I did see something about something you were offering some sort of giveaway, but uh I didn't look too closely into it
0: yeah so i ran an ad sharing contest anybody who shares one of our Kilted farmer ads would get an entry Mm
1: -hmm.
0: to win a free order of raviolis each week we would do the drawing each saturday okay it worked too well Uh (laughs) uh-oh so i'm sitting there this day looking at my notifications i'm like okay great awesome this is doing well and then I see this yellow notification that says 121 of your posts have been marked as spam. Oh. I was like, what? And now I get these notifications every day. Like, every day there will be, like, two from old posts. And what it is is because my website spread so far so fast, they had marked it as spam. And so I can't type it. I can't type the URL into any comment or post. I can't even type the URL into Messenger on either our page or my personal Messenger. So, that kind of uh, put us in a crapshoot for a minute. Okay. But, um, I figured out a way to go around it, which is to put the website on pictures (laughs) and post the pictures. They just can't click on the links.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to suggest.
0: Hopefully, they'll fix that for me. Mm. But, we will see. So we're just looking at a lot of different things,
1: right? Well, I'm trying to remember whether or not Facebook had expanded into some sort of like, like marketplace type uh, aspect. I don't remember for sure.
0: So Facebook does have some marketplace things,
1: mm. like
0: you can do the social shopping sites, and like it has itemized inventory on your page that people can click through but I haven't found a direct buy button from Facebook specifically. Usually they click on the image and it will take them to my uh, website. Usually. Um, I, haven't tried right. it. I haven't tried it lately or recently. But
1: Right. I was just wondering whether or not the URL, if it was shared through the quote-unquote marketplace uh, facet of the Facebook page, whether it would have also been marked as spam in the same way.
0: I don't think so.
1: But that's uh, kind of neither here nor there. I'm glad that the promotion worked so well. Hopefully uh, it spreads the message.
0: We normally reach like three to 7,000 people in a month. And this month we're already up to 12,000 mm-hmm. people. Uh, just, Just impact, basically. People have seen it. It has scrolled past their page or they have Interacted. Yeah, awareness. Over, yeah. Um, which, mm. is, which is pretty cool to me.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But it just depends. We got to get more businesses on board, and that's going to take time. There's money for marketing. Mm. So whenever I can find an investor and figure out. Because there's, there's multiple facets to the business. There's the website and delivery service. There's the homestead, which we do our pasta and baked goods. There's the apiary for honey and bee products, Mm -hmm. but I don't facilitate those as one entity. I look at them separately.
1: Right. Well, here's an idea for you. Have you considered doing some crowdsourcing stuff like, say, uh, like Patreon?
0: I don't even know what that is.
1: Okay, so Patreon is usually for artists and other, like, podcast-type creators They make a profile, and if people like the content that you produce, they can pledge to send you a certain amount of money each month. So, for example, I have a couple of Patreon pledges that I make uh, each month to a couple of different creators online. There's uh, one or two podcasts and a group of animators uh, called Flash Gits that make cartoons that i think are hilariously dark and inappropriate and funny (laughs) so you just you make an agreement basically set it up with a paypal or your your bank card and you just agree to pay a certain amount of money each month to support these people who are providing a service or some entertainment that you feel is is valuable and you want to uh see continue into the future so so
0: how does that benefit the donor?
1: Well, but that's the thing. The people who pledge at different levels can receive certain benefits. So you know, I am not sure. You know, you could like how how much do you usually sell a container of honey for?
0: Depends on the size. Okay, so eight fluid ounces is ten bucks. Sixteen is twenty. Uh-huh. Thirty-two is forty. Basically, a dollar twenty-five per fluid ounce.
1: Okay, well, so you could come up with some deal. So let's just say if someone pledges, you know, $20 a month, you can get a quote-unquote free bottle of honey once every six months. You know, because how much honey does a person go through, you know?
0: Depends. Some people go through a jar a week.
1: Uh, Maybe, but diabetes. Um (laughs) I think you could probably work out some arrangement with some of the other businesses that you uh, you work with as well. But you can encourage people to donate, and then they get some sort of direct benefit from their donation, as well as you know supporting them and investing in the business.
0: Nice, good idea.
1: Or here's here's another idea. You could say maybe patrons that uh, donate a specific amount or higher. Get prioritized delivery, where you deliver to them first uh, each time the, the deliveries go out. Okay. Other other things like that, you could spin it in some way that you know you could maybe encourage people to to donate, even in a small monthly amount. Let's just say that you know the donations or the pledges start at a dollar a month. You know, and maybe if you pledge a dollar a month, then you don't really get any specific tangible reward for doing so you're just supporting the business supporting you as the business owner and then as you know you donate higher amounts of money then you get other certain uh rewards for doing so
0: i get it like a some sort of discount on all of our specific you know our kitchen products or
1: yeah so i don't know exactly whether or not the uh, terms of service of Patreon prohibit, you know, people donating to businesses that aren't specifically, like, creator-centered, because usually it's for, for artists or musicians or uh, people who run podcasts.
0: Gotcha. Some sort of entertainment.
1: Yeah, it's usually some sort of arts and entertainment that I see people uh, using Patreon to, uh, to source some extra finances from so i'm not sure if there's other rules or regulations or terms of service that say you know you as a as a small business owner uh running an online marketplace may or may not be able to um start a patreon uh account to support that a little bit more but uh it's uh it's probably worth looking into
0: yeah for sure
1: it could help you get some investments and also just bring in a little bit of, of extra passive income. That could be helpful for you guys.
0: Yeah, that would. It would, it would, it would.
1: Because I don't know the ratio of hours worked to income generated that you've got going on right now.
0: I get it. It's good to, uh, It's good to know. Do you know, uh, speaking of art, fundings, do you know much about NFTs?
1: Oh, that's uh, that's actually an interesting topic.
0: Because I've heard of them, and I watched a post-COVID South Park episode. And uh, Mm. Butters was basically treated like Hannibal Lecter as an adult because he made billions selling NFTs and talking other people into selling NFTs. And I'm like, what the fuck hmm. is an NFT? So.
1: Okay. So the basic idea of an NFT is actually good. Um, and that is providing a means for artists who do digital art to basically copyright their art in a way where the original digital art file can be treated as as a quote unquote original in the same way that you know a painting on canvas can be the original painting and then you can either sell the original painting or you can sell prints copies of that original painting so the altruistic idea of nfts is to provide a way for digital artists to basically mint or copyright their digital art in such a way that you have a quote-unquote original file that is more valuable than any copy of said file
0: So, for example, um, yes. So, I do my paintings. I wouldn't try to create an NFT on that. But you, who created some amazing, um, you know, alien digital characters for some games that people would buy from you, Mm. you could then turn your new creatures that you haven't sold into NFTs and sell copies of it.
1: Well, okay, so here's the thing, is that the market surrounding NFTs right now is a giant pyramid scheme. (laughs) The technology was originally designed so digital artists could copyright their work and transfer the quote-unquote ownership or licensing or rights to the quote-unquote, original file to another person who would be willing to uh, pay for it in the same way that somebody could pay for an original painting. And it has to do with, with blockchain technology, which you know, is something that I, I still find a little confusing, but the basic idea is that things like cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin, which operates with blockchain technology, preserves a specific record of, of transition of ownership of the Bitcoin, or in this case, the, the NFT image. So there's some proof of transition of ownership that can be documented and read off of the quote-unquote blockchain. In this case, when they say uh, NFT, stands for uh, non- Fungible tokens, if I remember correctly, the whole idea of non-fungible uh, more or less means that it's unique and can't be uh, replaced or exchanged for something else. So a Bitcoin, for example, the, the cryptocurrency is fungible. You can trade one Bitcoin for another Bitcoin. And the uh Example listed here, explanation listed here on this website is something that is quote-unquote non-fungible. So something that's one-of-a-kind, okay? Uh, Like uh, the example it says here is like a a one-of-a-kind trading card is non-fungible, okay? If you trade it for a different card, then you have a different card. Right. So let's say that every issue of the first Superman comic book is destroyed somehow. and There's only one left in the entire world. Then that comic book becomes non-fungible because it is the one and only version or edition of that thing that exists. So the idea here is to make the digital art itself non-fungible. It becomes a -a one-of-a-kind original where copies of it can be made, but it maintains through some computer coding a watermark or a chain of custody or, or chain of ownership that says this is the original file all other files are copies of this file therefore this original file has more intrinsic value to it
0: gotcha that makes sense pyramid scheme huh
1: but again that's the altruistic ideal version of the nft The marketplace surrounding the NFTs, and you might have even seen, I've seen bunches of NFT ads on on Facebook. This whole marketplace of NFTs is a giant pyramid scheme, yes.
0: How does that work, though? Like, from what I heard, and I might have heard the pyramid-schemed version, is that Mm. if you create a digital something and do the nft thing with it mm-hmm. i thought the artists were supposed to get recurring revenue on that item as it was sold but your way makes more sense
1: uh, that's okay even i don't understand it 100 percent there's a fantastic i guess you could call it a, a documentary on youtube by this channel called folding ideas and the the video is called line goes up the problem with nfts mm. and it explains like the whole concept of the blockchain and the cryptocurrency and how it's related to the NFTs and how the entire thing is a giant scam. And it's almost two and a half hours long, so it's very thorough in discussing the NFTs. And and after watching it, I mean, I understand about eighty five percent of it, but a lot of the cryptocurrency stuff is is kind of designed to be vague to have kind of a high bar for for entrance into it. But the basic problem with the NFTs is, from what I understand, and I could be wrong about this or or mistaken, but from what I understand, it seems like you have to possess some sort of cryptocurrency in order to quote-unquote mint an NFT because for it to be sold in this cryptocurrency marketplace you have to first start with something that is on the blockchain, like a cryptocurrency.
0: Yes, that's what I've seen from anything that I've been looking at. Oh, but you have to sign up for this thing and right, we'll give you free coin.
1: But that's the whole point is there are lots and lots of issues with the cryptocurrencies yeah. where it can take days or weeks or even months to make a withdrawal exchange and in that amount of time the the value of the cryptocurrency can vary wildly
0: oh yeah you could buy in at a dollar
1: yeah you might try to spend your cryptocurrency when let's say your your bro coin is at you know a value of a hundred dollars per coin and then by the time it actually transfers, the value of BroCoin can drop down to $0.10 cents per coin, and the whole transaction is, is fucked up. Yeah. Um, so basically, the problem with the current marketplace of NFTs is that the people who are producing them are relying on getting new people to invest into cryptocurrencies in order to purchase the nfts because there's a perception that the value of them could potentially skyrocket in the way that you know the original uh bitcoin like investing it's more like gambling than investing in the stock market is because at least in the stock market there are regulations that dictate the value of different things and and a a global network of.
0: And also restrict regular American people from making money.
1: Well, but the whole idea of, you know, cryptocurrencies were to be a tangible way of, you know, making some sort of financial unit outside of the controls of the major banks. But again, the fact that it is kind of pirate currency... Yeah, it makes it so that there's a lot of poor enforcement and not a lot of networking infrastructure set up to transfer them and to keep the values of them uh, stable in the same way that the global economy keeps you know the u s dollar value relatively stable so it is interesting and again the the original idea was altruistic in, in trying to uh, provide a means for digital artists to copyright and protect their work. But in practice right now, with the issues of cryptocurrency, if you want to buy NFTs, you have to first invest into cryptocurrency. And there are so many derivations of cryptocurrency, You know, starting with the original Bitcoin. And many of them start and and crash within a couple months and lose all their value. So if you're holding on to some cryptocurrency that doesn't really have much value, but you convince somebody to buy that cryptocurrency from you for higher than it's actually worth and then you run away with the money and they're stuck with cryptocurrency. Well, I think the scheme term is called like the the bigger fool or the bigger idiot. You always you always have to find the next person who's willing to invest even more in something that continually has less value just so you can make back the money that you spent trying to invest in it and are are now losing.
0: Wolf of Wall Street it.
1: Yeah. So if you're interested and you've got almost two and a half hours, you'd have to, you better be really interested. I'm not. I definitely recommend Folding Ideas and his two-hour video called Line Goes Up, The Problem With NFTs, that kind of explains the whole thing. It's been very well received by people who are interested in it and very, very poorly received by the people who have invested in NFTs and don't like the fact that people are exposing the pyramid scheme.
0: <laughs> I'm sure. That's so funny. That's funny.
1: You doing all right there?
0: Yes. I'm enjoying a little bit of herb while we chat.
1: Hmm bastard (laughs) (laughs) speaking of which did you uh did you get a chance to listen to the
0: is it is it is it not legal there
1: no well if you were asking me that question then obviously you haven't listened to the most recent podcast i did with jesse where we we talked about all that stuff
0: i I remember we kind of covered it in an earlier episode where it wasn't it's not legal but it's not strictly enforced like you can buy the police off or um everybody knows a guy well kind of thing
1: well, that was the way it was in in the past. You know, ten years ago, when I first got here to China, is it it wasn't strictly enforced, and you know, it was kind of openly sold and smoked in certain bars yeah. um, around the city, and the the police either turned a blind eye to it or they just were not trained to recognize it for what it was. So yeah, the last podcast episode I did with Jesse that just got uploaded. You know, we kind of talk about the history of of the legal status. Uh, in America, and we kind of wrap up with a discussion about my best educated guess as to why it's so strictly uh, criminalized here in China. But, uh, yeah, go ahead, give that one a listen at some point. I will. Suffice it to say that uh, I'm a little jealous of your ability to indulge over there.
0: (laughs) I understand. I'll, I'll keep you some when you come visit.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, I got lucky. I had a neighbor who grows and, you know, I helped work on the plants over the summer, keeping them trimmed. Uh, So he gave me some and Mm. it is, it's pleasant. It is. But it's also legal to buy everywhere, but there's like a 16% sales tax. But as an individual, you can grow up to 12 plants.
1: Nice, nice. (laughs) So, well, that's, it's good. One way or the other, the fact that it's been decriminalized uh in most of the u s yeah, seen progress one way or the other. I yes. don't think it's ever going to be decriminalized over here, but uh
0: I mean all, all the president has to do is just try some. I think that's about <laughs> all it would take here, just try it,
1: no probably have you thrown in jail and or executed for <laughs> offering it to him. Right. But uh <laughs> so in our last uh discussion or at least the last uh podcast episode as I mentioned recorded back way back in August of last year. Yeah. I had kind of just started with the
0: the, the new factory
1: here in Zagong.
0: Yeah. The dinosaur replications, which are Awesome, and you didn't send me for my birthday, so thanks. Or no thanks.
1: <laughs> they are not cheap, you know.
0: I'm sure they cost like 15 to 20 grand each.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, on average, you know, depending on how big it is, but, but yeah. still. So things have, you know, settled into into place, so I, I am getting the, the full-time... Uh, salary now which is
0: quite a bit more significant
1: basically four thousand US dollars per month.
0: Oh that's not bad.
1: Right because originally when I started over here I was making 1000 USD per month.
0: Right which was terrible and you were doing the transitions and all that not fun stuff.
1: Well it was a necessary caveat. It was a necessary thing for me to go through in order to get to the place where we could uh, then have me making the full-time salary because at the time I had started, we were dealing with maintenance issues and mechanical issues in the United States and money had to be uh, diverted to paying the technician who was repairing all those things.
0: Yes, I remember, who had to travel everywhere, crazy yes, expensive. Yes, correct.
1: So I took the pay hit because I knew that the only way I would be able to get up to the full-time salaries if I did get over here and start supervising the production to minimize the mechanical issues that we would have moving forward. Right. Um, and then once the current mechanical issues were solved and then I was here supervising, trying to, to head off any potential corner cutting moving forward, that would uh, stabilize the, the business back in the States there. And I'd be able to, to get up to the full-time salary, which I've been up to the full-time salary for about half a year now. So it's all worked out quite well. And we're working with five or six different factories. We've got two or three orders going right now, and more of them are being organized here in the near future. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of direct hands-on work that's been going on, uh, especially for this most recent order.
0: Well, that's nice. I know you like to work on the artwork as you're going make sure it's done correctly. Or at least I, I remember seeing pictures of you up on the ladder with a mask working on a big Rex.
1: Mm. And there's been a lot more of that recently, so...
0: what you enjoy.
1: Well, I do enjoy doing the work, but it's good that I do enjoy doing that work because most of it is out of necessity, unfortunately. No. Oh. So we'll, we'll get into that. So a good example is the current order that I'm focused on is an order of insects. And, well, basically, when you take something that's small and you blow it up into a huge size, then you really have to pay attention to those microscopic details that get uh, blown up as well.
0: Right, because if, uh, they're hidden in the small thing.
1: Exactly. You can't see it clearly when it's tiny, but when it's, you know, six feet long, then, you know, you have to pay attention to those details.
0: That's what she said.
1: (laughs) So, for example, we have a stink bug, and stink bugs have pores all over their exoskeleton, all over their, their shell, and the pores all have a darker color in them than the raised surfaces of the shell. And if you look carefully, you can see that there are patterns in these dark spots in the pores. So the biggest issue that we've had at this point, once we would address the mechanical issues, is the painting part of the process. And the thing is that the painters are paid... By each unit that they finish. So, you know, you finish painting one, you get paid for that. You move on to the next one. So, you know, they get paid the same whether they spend 20 minutes painting something or whether they spend two hours painting something. So, there's no incentive for them to take their time and... Do better work. Yeah. So that's, that's the biggest issue.
0: What if they do, like, a bonus structure? You'll get paid if you finish this. You'll get paid this if you...
1: Yeah, no, I, I understand. I had uh, an extended uh, Skype call with Don and his right-hand man there, Robbie, uh, talking about what we could do to try to fix the problem. Mm. And whether or not, you know, offering some sort of bonus to the painters who did a better job... Um, that was one of our, our ideas. The other idea was there are third-party contractors who do painting work, and they generally are more skilled at painting than the, the artists that are hired by the factories themselves. Right. So that's another possible idea. And then the third one is that for some of these, you know, I just have to do the work myself. And, you know, it can take five or six hours to do a proper paint job on some of these things. So there's the stink bug there where I basically had to hand paint with a brush (laughs) all the spots. Because if you look closely at the dark spots and these pores, it's not just every pore has a dark spot in it. There are actually visual patterns in the pores. So I basically had to... I spend about five or six hours hand-painting every pore
0: oh on gosh. this
1: giant stink bug. <laughs> and then there was another insect that was much, much larger. I'd say it's probably 18 feet long. Oh, jeez. That I had them do a base coat of yellow on it, and then I had to paint the entire thing because...
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: It's called a jewel beetle, and they're extremely shiny, pearlescent color.
0: Oh, that would have been a fun project.
1: Well, yeah, because that's the thing. is This is the type of material or the type of color, like the fancy paint jobs on the sports car, where where the light hits it, it, it looks like it's a completely different color. Yeah. So it's generally bluish purple, but when the light hits it, it looks green. You know, or... uh, Granny Smith green. Yeah. yeah.
0: I know the beetle you're talking about, too.
1: Mm. But uh, you can achieve kind of the illusion of that with the paint. And then I did that whole base coat, and now we're going to actually add a final layer that has some actual metallic material mixed in with the paint onto the top to kind of accentuate that uh, shiny look. But yeah, I spent another six or seven hours painting that entire one because the color patterns and things on it were just too complicated to rely on the local painters to do it correctly.
0: Yeah, I get that.
1: Yeah, that's the uh, the issue that we've had, especially with this particular order because it was originally supposed to ship out ten days ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were not finished <laughs> with it, so the the problem was is that the factory put the order on hold for basically the entire month of January while <laughs> the factory worked on domestic orders for Spring Festival, you know Chinese New Year.
0: Oh, so they were selfish about it due to tradition.
1: Well, but it was just that there are so many domestic sales of products for Spring Festival, the the fancy giant lanterns, little dinosaur-shaped carts that kids can ride around on and drive around, uh, you know, other smaller animatronics that get put up in parks and zoos and things. So there's, there's a huge amount of domestic business. Basically, it was just that for the entire month of January, they focused on fulfilling domestic orders for uh, things for the Chinese New Year holiday. And then Chinese New Year was the first week of February, and then they assumed that everything could be finished by the end of February. So the end of February was the original deadline, and then it got pushed back two weeks, and now it's been pushed back a full month. Uh, Now we're able to, through some arrangement with the shipping company, wrap up by the beginning of April and and ship out.
0: Uh, I was just wondering, um, because I've been doing painting, Mm. And I've been thinking about doing painting classes, Uh, do the Bob Ross thing, where he sold his own products, like his own paints, his own brushes, things like that. Mm. So I'm wondering if your factories do that kind of thing, or if that's a whole separate deal.
1: In what kind of sense, them selling products? You mean, did the factories directly sell the things that they produce?
0: No. What I'm wondering is if I wanted to do Kilted Farmer brand paints and paintbrushes, oils and paintbrushes, and like do sets of those, is that something your company can do, or is that not in that ballpark?
1: Uh well that's not in the ballpark of the, the companies I'm working with. You could potentially, you know, make a production deal with, with some other kind of factory over here to produce branded items. But
0: uh I'm sure that's expensive AF.
1: Yeah, well especially when it comes to things like paint, because as an art student I quickly learned that not all paint is created equal.
0: No, no it's
1: not. I know for sure the red paints, a lot of the red paints. Uh, there's another color. I don't remember. Uh, it might be like one of the, like the cyan blues or something. But the, the crimson reds, the pigment is extremely expensive. So when you look at the prices for tubes of oil paint, there's a wild difference in the price for the same size tube of oil paint depending on which color you're buying.
0: Oh, yeah. I just use the cheap stuff right now. I'm like, I'm not rich enough to do that. Eventually, when I have some extra money, there's a site online where you can get some pretty decent oil paints um, Mm -hmm. and the bigger tubes Mm. for like 10 to 15 bucks a tube uh, instead of 40, 50, 60, 70, depending on what you're trying to do. But my paintings don't have to be that complex either.
1: Right. Well, but the the point is, is that yes, you could work out some production deal to produce some branded merchandise at a different kind of factory over here. But uh, there's there's a lot of other logistical stuff that would go into that, like you know, sourcing the pigments and the paints, and instead of them just squeezing paint out of one branded tube into <laughs> one that has <laughs> your logo on it, which is if if that was the cheapest way to do it, that's what they I'm do sure they would do it over here. Honestly. <laughs>
0: Hey, the kids have smaller hands. They can get all the paint out of those tubes. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, well, that's depressingly accurate. But uh, So, yeah, the work has been interesting and engaging, for sure. My boss doesn't want me to spend so much time doing the actual production work because, you know, he pays me to supervise them to do the production. But unfortunately, for some things, like the whole painting aspect here, I just have to step in when... There's a paint job that is just too complicated for us to rely on the local painters to, to do well. And uh, there's been a lot of 3D printing uh, involved in this order, too. had about 30, oh, closer to 40, I think 42 or 43 honeybees. I think you've seen the pictures of the on my Facebook of the, the finished honeybee.
0: Yeah, I did. I, that's something that I would love to have. If one of those, you know, like an antenna oh. is built wrong, yeah. you know, send one my way. <laughs>
1: well, I think I'll probably have one or two left over. Um, and, yeah, I would, I could definitely uh, send you one of those. That would
0: be awesome. That would be my mascot. I bring that thing everywhere.
1: It was actually funny because the last time I was there at the factory working on applying the fur, a, a real honeybee... Flew into the factory and was buzzing around my face hand and hand. <laughs> landed on my hand as I was, you know, working. And I just let it crawl around on my hand for a little bit before he he flew off. But uh, Had you been
0: working in some sort of chemical or had something sweet spilled on your hand? They love the smell of chemicals.
1: I think it was the day after I was doing a lot of the painting work. So I probably still smelled quite a bit like gasoline. Yep. Because... They thin the paint with gasoline over here, which oh my I, don't, I don't think I mentioned it <laughs> caused a fire at the factory I work at uh, a couple months ago.
0: Well, I would I would think so. <laughs> well, I guess what they use here is turpentine, so that's that's basically flammable too.
1: Yeah, in the morning, the painting wing, which was kind of a shack, put up between two exterior walls of the dinosaur factory on one side and then the neighboring uh, factory property on the other. But, uh, yeah, a gasoline fire started and burned through the upper level, which, you know, the lower foundation is sheet metal. Right. And then there were uh, clear plastic up at the top to let light in through. So, obviously, the the fire burnt through the plastic before it burnt through the sheet metal. And then once it burnt through that plastic... At the top back corner of the roof, that created an air current that was just sucking the fire backwards out of that hole. It did destroy two of the animatronics that were in my order, or at least, you know, it burnt all the foam and and silicone skin off of it. The mechanical frames, we had to replace the wiring, but they were still salvageable, and we, we fixed them up. But the really ironic thing was that we had three of my products in there. Um, or the products for my boss in there. And uh, the one that survived is a dinosaur whose name translates to funeral pyre lizard.
0: Funeral pyre lizard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the dinosaur whose name means died in a fire is the one that survived the fire at the factory. <laughs> That's so
0: funny. Oh my
1: God! I know. I I would cracked up quite a bit about that. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I think I still had a bit of residual gasoline smell on me from painting the day before. But uh, the factory is working on figuring out how to compensate me for the extra painting work, uh, in addition to the paycheck I get from my boss every month.
0: Oh, well, I would hope so. How many hours a week are you working? Roughly.
1: It's basically full-time. I mean, I usually spend the morning, like, answering emails and coordinating some stuff. And then most of the time, I will go into the factory at noon or at the end of the lunch break at, like, 1 o'clock. And then I'll be there until 5 or 6, directly supervising or doing work there at the factories. So it is relatively full-time work but you know as my own manager i can kind of i can kind of sleep in a little bit in the mornings i can i can make my own hours a lot of the time
0: that is nice it's one of the benefits of owning your own business too you kind of make your own hours
1: Mm. but the last thing that i'll touch on here is that i'm hoping to start vlogging about the work is that some
0: sort of sex thing
1: yes i'm I'm gonna (laughs) you know (laughs) <laughs> um, no vlogging. I know video I... video logging. Like... Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna be a cam slut. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to see me ride this dinosaur? <laughs> oh, your tail is so big.
0: It's not easy being a professional fluffer.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I've picked up um it's a small camera it's a portable camera and it has a mechanical gimbal on it that stabilizes the camera so you can carry it around you can get some pretty cinematic camera motions with it because it stabilizes and smooths the movement of the camera and it'll record it up up to like you know full 4k resolution So the idea is that I'm going to basically start to document the work that I'm doing and try to do like a weekly upload of a compilation of the footage of the stuff that I've worked on during the week.
0: Like an educational thing. This is what we're doing. This is...
1: I want to make videos that cover different parts of the process. So, you know, a video about how I design, the mechanical frames, a video about um, me doing some of the the 3D modeling uh, work. So, you know, time lapse of the 3D modeling on the computer, Um, taking this camera and recording, you know, some of the stuff that I do in the factory when I'm talking to my translator and translating the instructions to the workers or, you know, doing a time lapse when I'm painting one of the products. So the, the idea is not only for me to just kind of vlog about it because I think there might be people out there who are interested in seeing that that kind of work, but also specifically for the clients um uh, that my boss works with so that they can see weekly updates from inside the factory about how their order is progressing and things like that.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. It might also keep the factories a little bit more Cooperative and cutting fewer corners if they're they're being not only supervised by me but also recorded <laughs> and you know I'm surprised they're not already the boss seeing the weekly progress or lack of progress that gets done <laughs> so that should be interesting as well
0: that, that is pretty cool
1: yeah I think people might want to watch that or or see the kind of uh, experience of working as a production Designer, supervisor, you know, here at the factory in China. So right now I've got to coordinate with the gal who does basically the marketing stuff for my boss to figure out what we should name the YouTube channel and, uh, you know, some of the logistics about that. But, yeah, that's kind of what's going on with me over here as far as the the factory work goes. And, uh, yeah, it's been keeping me busy and... It's definitely interesting and and fulfilling work. I really enjoy doing it.
0: That is really awesome. I'm glad to hear it. I think your parents are proud. Mm. (laughs) Your dad always says, he really enjoys what he does. I hope it's worth that degree. (laughs) As long as he's making enough money.
1: And I'm in the process of getting fully vaccinated so I can make another trip back to the States sometime this year, hopefully. We'll see.
0: I'm surprised you're not already.
1: Hmm? I mean, there's been so little risk over here. I mean, even when Delta got over here and then Omicron, like they've got a very good system in place here between the contact tracing. And then if somebody gets sick and they have a positive test, then they, they notify every other person who might have come into contact with them to quarantine and, and get tested immediately. And, you know, they, they only end up locking down neighborhoods or apartment complexes. And the rest of the city is able to basically operate business as usual. So honestly, I I've, I've felt very safe over here. I haven't really felt any sort of paranoia about, you know, contracting COVID for, you know, a year and a half, almost two years over here. I still wear a mask every day, but, you know, I think that's the minimal amount of effort. And it really is a minimal amount of effort, which is sad uh, when you see so many people in the States, you know, complaining about wearing masks.
0: Oh, but, my uh, gosh, dude. Stories. Yeah, I've I know. Stories.
1: I know. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and share a couple here to wrap up?
0: I'm pretty comfortable with the mask. I'm pretty comfortable with what yeah. I do. You know, Jess and I have been shopping uh, almost every day around the same stores for the last couple of years. And it's not that hard to be safe about it. You know, you hand sanitize before you go into the store. Mm -hmm. You wear a mask if you're going to be in any room longer than five minutes, especially if there's little or low ventilation. Right. Or you're around a lot of people. And then you sanitize when you get back into the car. It's wash your hands when you get home. You know, we haven't been washing our vegetables like we do for the stuff for our customers, but not for, you know, whatever we eat. We cook almost everything. Mm. So that kind of stuff makes a difference. I know my work is safe because I have minimal contact with neither the business nor the customer.
1: Mm. But what about the kids going back to school?
0: Oh, dude, that's the fucking worst. It's like every week they get sick. With something. Luckily, we've had no COVID, and we've managed to get some free at-home COVID tests. Uh, We've only had to use, like, two of them, Um, and those are all negatives. But they still contract all sorts of other crap, like the flu or stomach bugs.
1: Yeah.
0: It's nuts. I'm like, how do you guys not get COVID? I remember
1: remember getting sick much more frequently when I was uh, working at the kindergartens. For yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. How the hell did you guys get herpagondosyphilates?
1: Two-foot dribblers.
0: You're in a room. It's a Petri dish for hours.
1: Yeah. When I wasn't getting punched in the dick, I was getting sneezed on or drooled on.
0: <laughs> hey, it was high school. We couldn't help it. <laughs> but...
1: Uh, so, I don't know why it's such an issue in the states but uh
0: it's nuts like i did a video of this local children's museum like a walkthrough like hey you guys need to come out this place is awesome you know if you have a snap card you get a huge discount this is great for blah 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 and i had my mask on because it was required for kids over five or whatever Mm -hmm. and
1: are you a child over five (laughs) so yes
0: yeah we are so fun in new york So this guy comments on the video, I can't hear you with your Petri dish over your face.
1: Oh, fuck off.
0: And then, like, three other people were like, we can hear you fine. We can hear you fine. (laughs) Yeah. These people still get on masks and stuff. There's a huge divide in this country, which we can kind of get into on the next episode. Mm. Just having a minor conversation in one of your dad's posts... He, he, he posted something about what's one good thing Biden has done. I said, well, he beat Trump. Mm. And then, yeah. then this conversation starts out. And then uh, they think I watch MSNBC. <sighs> They're talking about all of these conspiracy things. And these are all friends of Not... your dad's. And no offense to him. No oh, offense me. of them. They, they all have their perspective. But I kind of think it's a generational thing millennials gen z
1: well but but here's the thing as well when you have bought into that extreme level of propaganda from one side your assumption is that your opponents those people who would disagree with you must also be subscribed to the extreme opposite level of of propaganda right so yes you know msnbc is, statistically speaking, the least factually accurate of the major left-wing news sources. But they're still more accurate than Fox News or OAN or Newsmax.
0: I was like, I don't watch any news like that.
1: (laughs) Well, but that's the thing, is that it doesn't require you to buy into left-wing propaganda to be critical of Trump, you know? And there were plenty of things to be critical of Trump about without exaggeration. And, you know, MSNBC and some of these left-wing news sources did exaggerate things that Trump said or did in ways that were not really necessary. I mean, Trump made himself look like a buffoon by himself on a weekly or daily basis. It didn't really require, you know, exaggeration. Um.
0: And there's people that, like one lady was like, "Oh, you still think Trump lost?" I'm like, "Yes, he he lost. That's that's what losing is."
1: <laughs> uh, it may or may not surprise you to know that I have blocked seeing my dad's posts in my Facebook feed.
0: Oh no! I would have loved your defense. I was like, "Where's Andrew to stand up for me?" <laughs>
1: No. Yeah. No. I cannot deal with...
0: I can understand.
1: And that may be part of the problem because he's now so wrapped up in his echo chamber that he doesn't get dissenting viewpoints anymore. But again, it really is a almost cult-like mentality. You know? Deny Deny reality. The great leader alone knows the truth. Listen to and believe in the great leader. Do not give credence to the scoffers. Yeah. And it drives me and my mom absolutely crazy because it's
0: <laughs> it's it's going to make the next election a shit show.
1: Well, we can go a little bit into that in the in the next episode. Yeah, I know that you uh you wanted to talk about how the uh the news cycle has kind of switched focus from the pandemic to the ukraine invasion but
0: we will discuss that in the next uh, next episode
1: yeah i wanted to take some time to study a little bit so at least at least one of us can speak intelligently about the situation <laughs>
0: yes it sounds better coming from you i don't make intelligent things sound good <laughs> i say smart things sometimes
1: well but here's the thing think about the success of joe rogan there's, there's a wide, wide range of credibility and expertise in the guests on Joe Rogan's podcast. But the reason he is so popular is because he's kind of an everyman. He, he asks questions that normal people with normal levels of education are going to ask about these, these different subjects. So, you know, if we work that dynamic, you know, you can ask the questions and I can answer them to the the best of my ability to to research. That sounds great. Hey, it works out. I'll
0: ask and make funny comments and (laughs) I'll try to get you to crack and laugh (laughs) while you answer. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the last couple episodes I did with Jesse were quite scripted where he and I both sat down and, and took a few days to gather some information. And then we kind of organized the order we were going to present our research in. And, yeah, we kind of treated it as a more scripted conversation. And it's a lot easier to a- edit.
0: Yeah, I can believe that. You guys are a little more NPR, and I'm like uh, a little more morning show.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> 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 the, that's kind of a good way to think about it. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, I mean, either way, it was good to uh, have this call and, and catch up a bit. And, uh, you know, once I posted the, the last episode there with Jesse, uh, you know, started making you feel guilty about uh, not doing an episode recently. So I'll make sure to, uh, to keep your feet to the fire about that. And like I said, I'll, I'll do some research here about, you know, the whole Ukraine thing as best I can, and then we can have a more informed conversation about that the next time.
0: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. And I want to start doing these much more often. Uh, I just, I need close contact with friends. Right. Uh, sometimes I'm not in a great place, and yeah, it's hard to go through that alone. So it's nice to have friends.
1: Mm. And I get it, and I'm still trying to organize with my friend in Florida, who does the, the editing stuff. Um, you know, I had,
0: uh, (laughs) save some time.
1: Yeah. I'd helped him by, you know, investing in some audio editing equipment that he, you know, can do because he's got cerebral palsy. He can't, you know, work a a nine to five stand up job, but he, he's, you know, very qualified for doing audio mixing and audio editing. So, you know, that's, that's something that he can then do to, to help support himself. And then the, the agreed upon exchange was, Hey, you know, edit these episodes for me because, uh you know it might take an hour to uh, an hour and a half to record an episode but then it takes you know 3 or 4 hours to edit it and you know i'm kind of a busy guy over here
0: yeah you're a little bit more ocd about it i'm like eh it's alright we just talked over each other yeah. a little bit that's normal skip next is uh <laughs> there's this long pause let me clip that a little bit
1: yeah when we make jokes especially i i try to isolate that audio and, and space it out so that listeners can actually, you know, hear a joke when it's when it's made without us talking <laughs> over each other or stuff like that. Yeah. Tune in to unheard voices and hear exciting conversations about the editing process.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be fun to do an episode sometime where we both watch the same movie. Mm. It would be long. But and then do mm. like a mystery science theatre three thousand kind of thing. Where we make fun of it <laughs> and tease it. Mm. And you can call the podcast episodes "Watch with Us," so everybody who wants to can do it and be a part of the. Yeah, we'll be the annoying guys Mm. who talk in the theater.
1: Oh, it was kind of funny. This will kind of wrap up. I got a chance to uh, go and see the new Batman movie uh, over the weekend. Oh, don't spoil it. I won't. I won't spoil it. But uh, a family had brought, you know, a couple of little kids like five or six-year-old kids to the movie and it is it is much too dark for <laughs> a five or six-year-old kid let's just put it that way
0: that's funny yeah i want to see it I, I saw this meme for a little bit that had edward from twilight
1: Ro- yeah robert pattinson yeah
0: as as edward from twilight and it said well i guess vampires really do turn into bats and then the other picture was yeah, he's bad, bad. yeah.
1: <sighs> well he's a good actor he is. He doesn't deserve to be pigeonholed as the Twilight guy anymore. Honestly, he's done. He's done some fantastic stuff since then. He has, and uh, he works well as Batman. And the you know a spoiler-free kind of uh, review here. It's it's a good kind of neo-noir style of story. It's kind of like Batman meets Seven, <laughs> as far as like you know the Riddler is a serial killer. <laughs> Um, oh, and there's no. a lot more of the kind of like the the mystery and investigation kind of stuff going oh, into wow. it.
0: That sounds kind of fun.
1: The the final act lost me a little bit, but overall, it, it certainly doesn't feel like a three-hour movie. It's very well-paced, and you know, it, it's not going to eclipse the Dark Knight, but uh, um, I would say, as far as me personally, it's definitely number two spot as far as you know the Batman movies go.
0: Good. I'm glad to hear it. I look forward to seeing it.
1: Yeah. I do, I do. Uh, just don't bring the kids. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, <clears throat> anyway. Watch out, voter dick. So it was good uh, Good catching up, and like I said, we'll, we'll make a plan to do a new episode here in the near future. But uh, I suppose this will bring another episode of Unheard Voices to a close here. So this is Andrew Meneer. And
0: Justin Fairchild, thank you very much for joining us, and stay tuned for next time.
1: Yeah, we'll talk at you again soon.